you're a good button pusher. <laughs> well, if you have your Bibles, let's turn to the Old Testament book of Kings, 1 Kings, chapter 18. <clears throat> Aren't you glad that uh, though we may be going through a storm, and some of them are difficult, I, uh, you see me hobbling around right now. I stepped out of my tool shed at the house yesterday evening and stepped out and down onto the concrete slab and I hit the edge of that concrete slab and that ankle rolled out from under me and it immediately swole up, looked like a softball on the side of my foot. So uh, I'm going through just a little bit of a storm this morning. Thank the Lord that I was able to get a boot on and uh, Connie and Travis loaned me their little cart that you can put your knee in and push yourself around on the other foot. And I got to going so fast I thought I was going to wreck. And uh, then I would mess up my other ankle and surely be in trouble. So I set that aside and just started hobbling. But God has given me grace and it is much better this morning than it was yesterday evening. So I am thankful that He has seen me through the storm. Amen. And if that's the biggest storm I ever have to go through in my life, I'll be doing good. But uh, what I want to talk to you about this morning is the Valley of Decision. And it's in uh, Kings chapter 18. We're going to begin in verse 16. And we're going to read just a few verses at a time. And uh, we'll come back and, and pick up where we left off. And uh, hopefully God will open our hearts and our minds to, uh, to some things that we need to make decisions about in our life. There's only two different religions really in the world. I know that you could probably name 15 or 20 right off the top of your head. But ultimately, you have the religion of man and you have the religion of God. And there's, uh, there's really no in-between. It either falls under one or two, one or of two uh, headings. And certainly, we want to be found worshiping the true and living God and doing it in a way that is pleasing to Him that brings glory and honor to the Lord. Man's religion can uh, be attractive. You know, it's pleasing. That, that's usually why it's man's religion is they build a religion. They may even take Christianity and mold it and bend it and twist it into something that makes them feel more comfortable. It's attractive. It's pleasing to the flesh. And that, that's one of the reasons we have so many different denominations. Now, I know that some people get denominations confused with religion. That, uh, you know, you have the Baptist religion and the Presbyterian religion and the, uh, this religion, but it's not. They're all Christianity unless it's a cult. And then they go by the name of Christ and Christianity, but they have twisted the doctrine of salvation from by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast, and twisted it into a religion of works that you have to be baptized. You have to do something in order to get yourself to heaven, a works-based theology. Now listen, there are a lot of those out there, and I'm telling you that that is not Christian at all. That is a cult, and you need to run from it with all of your might when you run into somebody that tells you you have to have their brand over the door of the church in order to be saved and to go to heaven. That is not true, and certainly there are some brands over the door. They're not churches that if you are a member of them, it makes it even harder to get to heaven because you have to get there in spite of what they teach rather than because 
of what they teach. The religion of God is uh, attested as divine, uh, miraculous fire, and we're going to be looking at that from heaven. Uh, it is powerful. It is the only religion on the planet that can change your destiny from hell to heaven. It's by grace through faith in that finished work of Jesus Christ. And and by believing that He is the Son of God, gave up heaven, put on flesh, became a man, went to the cross, shed His blood, died for your sins, rose again. Am I giving you too much information there? We see, we know these are things that need to be known in order for a person to get to heaven. You say, well, no, all I need to know is that I am a sinner and He's the Savior. And I believe that Jesus Christ you know, died for my sins. Well, listen, the devil believes that. Thou believest there's one God, thou doest well. But the devil trembles. He believes and trembles. Because he knows that just believing those things are not going to get him to heaven. But it's believing those things to the point that you surrender and sell out every inch, every ounce, every fiber of your being to the Lordship of Jesus Christ and to the words that are written in this book. Hide the Word of God in your heart that you might not sin against God. So certainly, we need to be careful as to what it is that we believe. We were talking in Sunday school this morning in Matthew chapter 15 where Jesus is having a discussion with the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes over the difference between truth and tradition. We got into a lively conversation there about several different things that are traditions here in the world and some of them that are, are attached to the church. One of them is Easter and chasing Easter bunny eggs. And by the way, I didn't know bunnies laid eggs. And especially chocolate bunnies, they don't lay eggs. And uh, where, where does that tradition come from? Well, Easter is not even a real word. The word should be Passover, where the only place in the King James Version of the Bible mentions the word Easter. It's talking about the Passover. And the Passover is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So why do we call it Easter? Well, there was a goddess back then by the name of Ishtar. That's where the word Easter comes from. Ishtar. And what was she the goddess of? The goddess of fertility. I'm glad you asked. Well, what is more fertile than an Easter with a, a, a bunny or an egg? Those are the two most fertile things that I can think of. So they take these emblems of a false god from paganism in the back and use them in a Christian way to worship the true and living God, on the day of His resurrection. That is a tradition. That is not truth. Truth says that you don't mix pagan religions with truth in order to pacify the flesh and to make us feel comfortable with the traditions that we like to adhere to. Well, you have the religion of man, and in King's... 18 in verse 16 it reads like this at that time hezekiah cut off the gold from the doors of the temple and the lord and from the pillars which hezekiah i'm sorry i'm in second kings i knew that wasn't right my begging of forgiveness here hold on one second while i go to the correct chapter 18 in verse 16 and it really reads like this so obadiah went to meet ahab and told him and ahab went to meet elijah so here here's the background elijah has been running from jezebel and ahab the king 
he prophesied that it wasn't going to rain and it didn't rain and now King Ahab is after him, wanting to destroy him, kill him. Uh, Elijah has been hiding. God told him to go hide by the brook Cherith and that he was going to take care of him. And he sent all of these different things to feed him a bird and then this woman and all of these things in the previous chapter that you can read for yourself. But now all of a sudden God speaks to him and says, now it's time for you to reveal yourself to Ahab. You're going to have this confrontation with the king. So he shows up and Obadiah, which is a prophet, of course, Elijah comes to him and says, you go and tell Ahab that I'm ready to meet him. And Obadiah says, oh no, listen, I'm not going to do that because as soon as I go and tell Ahab that you're ready to meet with him, you'll disappear. Ahab will come looking for you. You'll be gone and he'll kill me. Elijah says, no, no, I give you my word. You go tell him and I for sure I'm going to have a meeting with Ahab today. And in verse 17, it reads like this. And it came to pass when Ahab saw Elijah, and Ahab said unto him, Art thou he that troubleth Israel? And he answered, I've not troubled Israel, but you. It's thou and thy father's house, in that ye have forsaken the commandments of the Lord, and hast followed Balaam. Now therefore send and gather me all of Israel to Mount Carmel and the prophets of Baal 450 and the prophets of the groves 400 which eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent unto all the children of Israel and gathered the prophets together unto Mount Carmel and Elijah came unto all the people and said, How long halt ye between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow Him. But if Baal... Then follow him. And the people answered, not a word. Now, certainly when you are presented tradition or truth, when you're presented God and Baal, when you're presented holiness and righteousness rather than sinfulness and disobedience, then it's a clear-cut choice for those who know the Lord. For those who have bent the knee and bowed the head and surrendered their hearts and their lives and everything that they are to everything that He is, when we are presented with that opportunity to choose God over the world, then it's really a no-brainer. We're going to bend the knee and surrender our lives. But the nation of Israel says, oh, well, wait a minute. You know, I hear what you're saying, but we're not going to answer you until we see the showdown between God and Baal. And then we'll make up our mind. My friend, listen. <clears throat> Who are we to rebel against the words of God? Who are we to say, well, Lord, yeah, I, I know what your word says, but I, I'm, I'm going to take that as optional. You know, it's not really a commandment. It's just an option that I can be obedient when I want to be and disobedient when I don't want to be. And, and we'll see whether it's going to work out for my good or for my Bad, And that's exactly what the nation of Israel is doing here. But I want you to notice in these verses the religion of man. First of all, they are many. And now when I said to begin with, there are only really two religions in the world. That's the religion of man and the religion of God. But as you read this verse and you see that the prophets of Baal were 450 and then 400 prophets of the groves. Now the groves are where the prostitutes the religious prostitutes would go up into the trees, up into the groves on the side of the hill, and they would entertain men there. And they would 
worship their false gods by these activities they were doing. So they had 450 and 400, that's 850 prophets of Baal. And you have one man of God standing in opposition to thee. And that gives you the picture of what the world is today. You've got the one true and, true and faithful religion, godly religion, which is Christianity. And then you have everything else that the world offers. Is it any wonder that the flesh is drawn to the things of the world, to the things that the world has to offer? Bell's prophets, of course, are on every corner. They're selling everything that the flesh has a desire for. You can find it in any town, not just city. It's not just in New York or Los Angeles anymore. It's right here in Faraday, Louisiana. You can walk up and down the streets of Faraday, Louisiana and find anything that the big cities have to offer today. And there are people in this world that, that they, they worship that type of thing. And there needs to be a, a line drawn between what is holy and what is healthy and what is righteous against that which is sinful and evil and wicked. And we need to make up our minds as to whose side we're going to be on. The voice of the people, one person said, is the voice of God. You know, I've heard it said that uh, majority rules... We, we even do that in church, actually. We'll have a business meeting and we'll vote on things in the majority. You know, I mean, you got to do it that way. How else do you, do you do it? But do you know that when you read the Bible, you find out that a lot of times the majority is wrong? And especially not only in the church, in the church we hope that the majority is right because the majority is saved and being led by the Holy Spirit. But when you're comparing the things spiritual to the things carnal, to the things fleshly, to the things worldly, certainly straight as a gate, narrow as a way that leads to righteousness and there are only a few of us. But there are many that go in there at, at the wide gate, the broad road, the road to destruction. And we say, well, what, what hope do we have then if we're outnumbered by the world? Because us plus God make us a majority. He is all that we need to make it through this life and into the next one. If we would just submit to His will. But oh, that's hard. Not only are they many, but they are earnest. Look at verse 28. And what did it say there? We're going to skip just a little bit ahead. In verse 28 it said, And they cried aloud and cut themselves after their manner with their knives and their lances uh, till the blood came gushing out. Now these are the prophets of Baal. And Elijah gives them the opportunity to call on their gods and to do whatever it is that they do in order to get their God to answer on their behalf. So they start screaming and yelling and getting louder. What does the world do? It gets louder and louder and louder and expects you to listen to them just because of the noise that they make. They're earnest. They cried out. But you know, I've seen people who were earnestly religious in one form or fashion or another. And just because you're sincere, just because you're earnest, don't mean that you're right. As a matter of fact, I've seen people that were sincere that were sincerely wrong. 
And when it comes to the Word of God and to the truths of the Word of God, we need to realize that just because people believe honestly with all of their heart, believe what it is that they are teaching, what they are saying, does not mean necessarily that they are right. Romans chapter 10 and verse 3 speaks to that, having a form of godliness and zealousness and yet denying the power thereof. It's like a steam engine on a wrong track. Uh, just because it has the power, just because it has the steam, just because it has the ability behind it, doesn't mean that it's headed in the right direction. There are many, they are earnest and they are deceived. Verse 29 reads like this, And it came to pass when the midway uh, was passed, when midday was passed, uh, and they prophesied until the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice, and there was neither voice nor any answer, nor any that regarded. My friend, listen, it doesn't matter how sincere you are, it doesn't matter how loud you cry, it doesn't matter how long you spend at the altar, if it is not the truth, it is not going to benefit you or the world one iota. Secondly, not only the religion of man, but now you compare that to the religion of God. You look at, uh, we read through verse 21. Let's pick up in verse 22. And it says this, And Elijah said uh, unto the people, I, even I only, remain a prophet of the Lord. But Baal's prophets are 450 men. Let them therefore give us two bullocks. Let them choose one bullock for themselves and cut it into pieces, lay it on the wood and put a fire under it. And I'll dress the other bullock, lay it on, a, on the wood and put no fire under it. And call ye on the name of your gods and I will call on the name of the Lord and the God that answereth by fire, let him be God. And all the people answered and said, it is well spoken. And Elijah said unto the prophets of Baal, choose you your bullock. Uh, for yourselves and dress it first, for ye are many, and call on the name of your gods, but put no fire uh, under it. And they took uh, the bullock which was given them, and they dressed it and called upon the name of uh, Baal from morning until noon, saying, Baal, hear us. Uh, but there was no voice, there was no answer, and they leaped upon the altars which were made. And it came to pass at noon that Elijah mocked them and said, Hey, cry a little louder. You know, he's a god. He's, he's either talking or maybe he's pursuing uh, or he's in a journey. Peradventure, he sleepeth. Maybe he needs to be awakened. And they cried louder and cut themselves after their manner with their knives and lancets until blood gushed out. And it came to pass when midday was passed. And they prophesied until the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice. And there was neither voice nor any to answer, nor yet that any regarded the religion of God. Comparatively speaking, as I said earlier, there is just one true religion. Now I know that a lot of people still consider Judaism. You know, we, we are a Judaic Christian religion. We came out of Judaism. But coming out of Judaism doesn't mean that Judaism is correct. At one time it was the true religion of the world. They practiced Judaism and worshipped Jehovah God. 
But God sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to give up heaven, put on flesh, became a man, go to the cross, shed His blood, and die for our sins. And now the Jews have been cut off. That Judaism, that kingdom theology of the Old Testament has been cut off. And the Gentiles have been grafted in. And now Christianity is the only true religion. Did you realize that people who are practicing Judaism are practicing a false religion today? A false religion There is only one, not two, not three, but one true religion. I'm not talking denominations. I'm talking religions as in Christianity versus Judaism versus Islam versus Buddhism versus Shintoism and all of these other religions of the world. There's only one out of all of those worldly religions that are true, and that is Christianity. I am the way, the truth. The life. No man cometh unto the Father. Nobody goes to heaven except by me. And Elijah, as he said, I and I only remain of all of the prophets of God. 450 prophets of Baal, 400 prophets of the groves, 850 compared to one. And it's similar to that here today. There are thousands. India has billions. They said over a billion gods just in one nation that they worship. Of course, they say that it's all just really one God, but different variations of that one God. But I'm just saying that when you have a billion different gods, when you have a monkey God that you bow down and worship, where in the world is your heart and your mind in the midst of that? We are comparatively Few. John, 1 John chapter 4 and verse 4 says this, Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is He that is in you than he that is in the world. We have the truth and the only truth. Not only are we comparatively few, but we are deliberately faithful. What did it say in verse 30? You look again, and it said, And Elijah said unto all the people, Come near unto me. All the people came near unto him, and he was repaired, uh, and he repaired the altar, and the Lord that uh, of the Lord that was broken down. They were deliberately. And he said, "Come, come near," and they came, and they got close to Elijah. Close. Listen. Do you understand that people who follow after the true and living God, the people who follow after the true and living religion? It is a living religion, the living Bible. It is alive. The Bible says it's quick and powerful, sharper than a two-edged sword, dividing asunder both soul and spirit, and is a discerner of the heart and the thoughts, intents of the heart and the thoughts of the mind. It discerns. It's living. It looks into you while you're reading it. It reads you. But I know this, that we are deliberate in the following of that religion. We make a purpose. You see, you got up this morning on a rainy, nasty day, pulled yourself together, got your shower, pulled on your clothes, and came to church deliberately. You see, we have to be deliberate when we know that what we are following after is the true and living God. They are deliberately faithful. Isaiah 28 and 16 speaks to that, that uh, in James, what is that, James chapter 5 and verse 17 as well. But also you look at verse 38 in this text and it says this, it says, 
Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. So what you find out is that all of these prophets, all of these religions, all of these people amount to absolutely nothing. They cut themselves, they screamed, they got louder, louder. They had the world paying them attention, but nothing happened. I'll tell you what will happen at the end of their day is that when they die, they'll hear the words, Depart from me, for I never, I never knew you. But you understand that the religious people that follow after the religion of God are divinely favored. Elijah just cried out to the Lord. Look at verse 37. He says, did he cry? Did he scream? Did he cut himself? Did he bleed himself on the altar? No. He just said, hear me, O Lord. Hear me, that this people may know that thou art the Lord God and that thou hast turned their heart back again. Do you understand that it is God that worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure? It is God that changes our heart, that changes our mind, that illuminates, draws and saves and has his will and his way in our life. Verse 38 again says, not only after Elijah prayed, just hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that thou art the Lord God. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust and the licked up even the water that was in the trenches around the altar. You say, wow, I wish I could see a miracle like that. If I could see a miracle like that, then I wouldn't, I wouldn't have a hard time believing in God. Why, why doesn't God still do that? May I say that He does still do miracles? Maybe not of the same fashion. And the reason that He doesn't do resurrections of the dead and walking on water and licking up water with fire coming down from heaven is because the Bible teaches us in the New Testament that the Old Testament was the, was the, works-based theology, the kingdom theology. But now we walk by faith and not by sight. And you see these signed gifts of miraculous healings and miraculous activities. Those have passed away with the Old Testament and now we're walking by faith. Faith in what? Well, faith in the finished Word and work of Jesus Christ. Well, in the beginning of the New Testament, didn't they have miracles? Yes, at the outset. And the Bible says that these signs and miracles and wonders were given for a specific purpose for the nation of Israel. That they might see because the Israelites needed a sign. But now there is no sign given except the sign of Noah. And that sign of Noah was, was what? Oh, I'm sorry, the sign of Jonah. I said, no, the sign of Jonah, that was the resurrection at three days and three nights in the belly of the whale. And Jesus Christ was three nights and three days in the belly of the earth. And there will be a resurrection. And besides that, there will be no sign given. And we walk not by sight, but by faith now in the finished work, in the finished word of Jesus Christ. We are divinely favored. Lastly, I want you to notice we, uh, we left off. With those verses in 22 through 29, we're going to read 30 through 39. But I want you to notice that there is also a call for decision. You look at verse 30 and it says this. 
And Elijah said unto all the people, Come near unto me. And all the people came near. And he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. And Elijah took twelve stones, according to the number of the tribes of Israel, the sons of Jacob, unto whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be thy name. And with these stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord. And he made a trench about the altar, uh, as great as could contain two measures of seed. And he put the wood in order and cut the bullocks in pieces and laid them on the wood and said, fill flour barrels with water and pour it on the burnt sacrifice and on the wood. And he said, do it the second time. And they did it the second time. And he said, do it a third time. And they did it a third time with the third barrel. And the water ran round about the altar. And he filled the trench so uh, also with water. And it came to pass at that time, the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, God, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known that this day Thou art the God of Israel, and that I am Thy servant, and that I have done all things, all these things, at Thy word. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that Thou art the Lord God, and that Thou hast turned their heart back again. And the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust. And it licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. And there is no other. You want to see a miracle? May I say that you're looking at one standing behind this pulpit. And I'm sure that if you are saved and the Holy Spirit of God is living on the inside of you, you too are a miraculous work of God. The God has taken me from the world that I used to live in. And that was a wretched, sinful world. Illuminated my mind, drew me out of that world, saved my wretched soul, and then called me into the ministry. How big a miracle do you need other than the resurrection of the dead? I was dead. I was lost. I was separated from God. God came to a prison cell where I was incarcerated at and reached into my heart, illuminated my mind, drew me to Himself, saved my soul. God is still a miracle-working God. Maybe He doesn't raise the physical dead, but He raises the spiritual dead every time somebody comes to salvation. By grace through faith. But notice this. The call for decision that there are two opinions. Two opinions. You look at verse 21. Go back and look at verse 21. In chapter 18. It says, And Elijah said unto all the people, How long shall ye halt between two opinions you've got God's and man's and there's a call for a decision for us to choose choose you this day I can't help but think of of uh, Joshua when he was leading the people out of the wilderness into the into the promised land and he told the nation of Israel choose you this day whom ye shall serve whether it be the gods on the other side of the flood the gods of our fathers on the other side or whether it be the gods on this side 
Are we going to choose the true and living God? Are we going to surrender our hearts and our lives to Him? Or are we going to play religion? Are we going to play church? We're going to get up and we're going to come on Sunday mornings to a, a religious facility and we're going to listen to some guy preach about a God from heaven and His Son, Jesus Christ, and then we're going to go out the back doors and live our lives the way we lived them on the other side of the flood before God ever convicted us or drew us to Himself. Psalm 139.17 says this, How precious also are thy thoughts unto me, O God, and how great is the sum of them. How precious are thy thoughts. What are the thoughts of God? The thoughts of God are written between the pages of this book. The Bible says that we are to hide the Word of God in our heart. How precious are thy thoughts. How precious is thy Word. It's precious enough for me to spend the time and the energy and the effort to study the Word of God and hide it in my heart that I might not sin against God. It's precious enough to me to come to Him and to surrender my life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. How precious are thy thoughts unto me, O God. How precious is the sum. You know what the sum is. That's when you make an addition or a subtraction. You take calculation of the Word of God and you decide, you make a decision as to, well, what does it mean? What does it add up to? What, what does it boil down to? Is it really serious? Does God really mean the things that He says in the Bible? Should I take Him should I take God seriously? Or do I take them not as commandments, but as requests? Options. There's two opinions, God's and man's. That there are many who halt between those two. It's like you get stuck. It's a terrible, terrible story, but I can't help that it's part of my history. When I was chaplain out at prison, there's people are doing this drug there in the jails. It's called Mojo. They would smoke this stuff to the point that they would literally freeze. They would just get stuck. And people would be standing around laughing at them. And I thought that was the cruelest, saddest things. I put something on... Facebook the other day about people laughing at sin and the habitual sin that people are addicted to and stuck in and homosexuality and people in prison laughing at homosexualities and their activity and I'm telling people on Facebook that they're laughing at it out there. They're not even in jail and they're just laughing at that, that sin. That is a sin that God sent His Son to die for. My friend, there is absolutely nothing funny about any sin. But when you're talking about people doing a drug to the point that their body and their mind literally just locks up on them and they're stuck, they're bent over and they're just kind of shaking a little bit. They can't take a step. They can't say a word. They're just stuck. People thought that was funny. You know, there's people that are stuck between heaven and hell, between right and wrong, between good and evil, between the devil and God. They, they love the things of the flesh and the things of the world. They know what the Word of God says to some degree. And they, they're stuck between making a decision and surrendering the Lordship of their life to the right side. It's time that we make a decision. Am I really, am I really a believer? Do I have faith 
Do I know that I know in the deepest parts of my heart that there is a God of heaven that stepped out of heaven onto nothing and spoke everything that we know anything about into existence? He spoke these things into reality and now I'm here because of Him. I am here for Him. He created me for His glory and His honor. And now I'm, am I going to live my life for my glory? My honor? Am I going to live my life for His? There are those that are stuck. Then I want you to notice that they only are safe who decide for God. And the only way that you can be safe in the rest of your life here on this earth is to make the right decision. You say, well, how do you do that? You don't. The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, neither can he, for they are spiritual and he is carnal, sold under sin. We are bought and paid for by sin. Isn't that something? Until Jesus Christ gives up heaven, put on flesh, became a man, went to the cross, shed his blood, and died for our sins. But as long as we are in the flesh, as long as we are natural, as long as we are lost, we cannot, not will not, but cannot, the natural man cannot choose the the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, neither can he, for they are spiritual. And he's carnal. He's dead. Dead men, spiritually dead men, don't choose spiritual things. But when God moves in your heart the way He did in my heart and mind in, my, in that jail cell I was in, when He wakes you up and you see yourself, that's why pastors come spend time all week studying the Word of God and come stand behind a pulpit and preach the Word of God because it's the Word of God that is quicker and powerful, more powerful than a two-edged sword dividing asunder soul and spirit. And it is the Word of God that quickens, that illuminates, that regenerates. And by you coming and hearing the Word of God and the Holy Spirit reaching past your ears but into your heart with the Word of God, then God regenerates and wakes up and draws and saves. Do you know that's happened to you? Have old things passed away. All things are new. You're a new creation in Christ Jesus. The love of God has been shed abroad in your heart by the Holy Spirit. That's the only hope that mankind has. The Lord. He is God. Have you come to that determination? I want to read to you some verses here and I'll close. It's John 6. And I, I'm not superstitious, but I know what the number 666 stand for always gives me a little bit of a creepy feeling when I run into those numbers together but this is is the word of God is John chapter 6 verse 66 through 69 and it says this from that time many of his disciples went back why why the disciples that are following Jesus turn back to the world because Jesus told them the same thing that I just told you no man cometh unto the Father unto me except the Father draw him. And no man can come to the Father except through me. Now that seems like an irreversible dilemma. I can't come to God except through Jesus Christ. Oh, but I can't come to Jesus Christ except God draw me. So what do I do? It's a simple answer. That you come to Jesus Christ first because God has moved in your heart and drawn you. But they couldn't, they couldn't grasp that. They were lost. They were dead. The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. From that, from that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. And then said Jesus unto the twelve, Will you also go away? 
And Simon Peter answered him and said, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. And we believe and are sure that thou art that Christ, the Son of the living God. Peter gave a really good answer there. Jesus says, are you going to also turn your back on me? You're going to leave? You're going to depart? You're going to go back to the world? Peter says, well, where, where, are we, where am I going to go? What happened to Peter? Well, he denied the Lord three times. He denied the Lord three times before the rooster crowed the next morning. And what did he do after it broke his heart? When he heard the rooster crow, he looked up, he saw God's face hanging on the cross, and he ran and wept. And he went back to the fishing boat. He went back to his old life. Not only him, but the Bible says that the rest of the disciples followed him and went with him. And then Jesus comes walking down the side of the bank. And he cries out, hey, guys, have you caught any fish? He said, no, we had not caught anything. We've thrown every bait in the tackle box and we had not caught a fish all night. He says, well, if you'll cast on the right side, you'll find it. Who's this guy? We're professional fishermen. So they cast. And when they drew the net in, it was so full of fish, it almost burst before they got it back to the boat. John looked at Peter and says, that's the Lord. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know a lot, but I know that's, that's the Lord. Peter wrapped himself in a garment. He was naked out there fishing all night long. With a bunch of guys, he wrapped a garment around himself, dove off the boat, and swam to the bank. Why? Because he couldn't wait to get to the feet of Christ. Jesus says, hey, Peter, lovest thou me more than these? That's what you told me. Do you love me more than everybody else does, Peter? You agape me? Peter says, Lord, I, I, fi, I phileo you. You know, you know what I do you know me better than I know myself? And he asked him the second time. He says, "Lord uh, Peter, do you love me with the love my father loved you with when he sent me into the world to die for you? Do you love me with a godlike agape love? That's what you said." And Peter says, "Lord, you know that I like you a lot. I I phileo you. I have a brotherly affection for you." And then Jesus asked him the third time, and he used the word that Peter used. He says, "Peter, do you even like me?" Do you phileo me? Do you have any affection for me at all? That's my question to us this morning. Do we, do we really have any? We say we love Him. We love the Lord. But love is not what you say. Love is what you do. Do we really love the Lord? With all of our heart. With all of our soul. With all of our mind. That's the greatest commandment in the Bible. And we're guilty of violating it every day. But we don't have to be found guilty just because we are guilty. Because God doesn't hold us to the letter of the Word. He holds us to the Spirit of the Word. And if we love Him to the point that even though we stumble, falter, and fail, we are giving it our all. We get up, we confess, we repent, and we continue striving to be faithful to God. Then we're found innocent because of the grace of God. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for your love and for your mercy. God, thank you for this opportunity to be here in your house with your people. Forgive us for our sin. We know, God, that we fall short. Help us not to take advantage of that grace. To be a disgrace to grace. By using grace as a, 
as an opportunity to live the life that we really want to live. God, I pray that you'll change our hearts to make us want the life that you've given us to live. And we'll praise you for that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm going to ask you to stand and take a hymn book. Turn to page 346, I believe it was. Oh, 347. As we sing. All to Jesus I surrender all to Pray that uh, that you have done exactly that, that you have surrendered all that you are to all that He is. Any comments before we close in prayer? God bless you for being here. Did I turn that off? Make sure the clocks are right this evening. Amen.